Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, good night. I don't know, wherever you are in the world, welcome down the security rabbit hole to another down the security rabbit hole podcast. Over yonder across the way is my buddy James. How's it going, Raph? Another day, another dollar, another breach, but we'll talk about that later. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, somebody we've had on the show before, but uh, coming back to the world of the living, welcome Mr. Andy Callett. Hey, good day, guys. How are you guys today? Uh, more importantly, how the hell are you? I am alive and kicking, which is uh, great. So I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. My dad used to say every day above ground is a bonus, but uh, you uh, you had some uh, you had some some health scares a little bit there. I'm glad to have you back on this side of the uh, of the dirt pile. Yeah, no, uh, I, I will tell you, life uh, can throw you curves you're not expecting, and uh, this year I definitely had some. Uh, but I appreciate it, and uh, I will say, when I went through everything I went through, and kind of you know talked about it a little bit on, on Twitter, the outpouring of support uh, from the information security community and the podcast community was overwhelming and humbling. So you know we got a lot of, a lot of great people in our community. I, I definitely saw that. So, but uh, hey, thanks for having me back on the show. You know we we are still we are still locals, and eventually we're going to have to go back and uh, have an adult beverage at some point. Absolutely, I miss them tremendously. <laughs> of all the things you end up missing when you're uh, <laughs> when you're on medical leave, right? <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, but, so you, uh, soon. Yeah, well, so you and I have known each other for I don't know, or I want to say ninety nine, two thousand ish. That sounds right. right. Yeah, that's, you, you uh, were that's a, one. you were you were a SE at checkpoint, if I recall correctly. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, but, I probably that probably would have been 2003 2002ish. Yeah. Maybe, maybe 2002. I I actually yep. ran into Rich Ryan the other day. Oh, really? <laughs> He's now <laughs> at a company he... whose name I'd forgotten, but they were at AWS uh, uh reinforce and I'm like, "Oh my god, that's Rich Ryan." And I'm like, uh, walked over and said hello and he uh, he didn't have any idea who I was, but then we started I started explaining, you know, you <laughs> that he was our sales rep uh, when I was over at uh the big meatball, and he's like, "Oh my god, I remember those days!" And suddenly, <laughs> we were reliving our uh, some traumatizing periods of time for all of us. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, that was my first gig as a sales engineer. I was actually sales engineer manager, and uh, it, yeah, was a, like, it was it was the world at one point. What's that? Yeah, you like ruled this side of the ocean, I think, at one point. Well, it was a heck of a good education, I'll tell you that, and. Uh, coming from, I'd always been a, a sysadmin or an engineer or a, a network guy before that. And, uh, you know, I, I saw a whole different side of things, not just the sales side of things, but also the just working with many different companies and, you know, seeing the the gulf of difference of, of opinion between a company's 
marketing and sales organization and what actually motivated and what drove actual business and actual spend from a company were, were amazing to see the differences. And, you know, it, it's one thing that, you know, I kind of said a few times that I learned when I was doing sales engineering. Um, vendors are very good at building their own brand around what they think they can solve. So they define the problem as the problem they can solve. Not necessarily the problem the customer has, but the problem they can solve. And then they sort of market around that and uh, objection handle around that. And there are times when they get so caught up in their own story, they miss what the customer is trying to do. And it, it was just really interesting watching this conflict of, of sales guys trying to sell and and customers desperately trying to solve problems and you know customers trying to figure out, does this solve my problem or is it just BS? And it was a heck of an education. I'll tell you what, though. On a rant. No, no, I'll I tell you what, though. You've identified, actually, that, that's a pretty interesting thing because uh, we've all, James, you and I and Andy, all of us have walked through some show floor somewhere, whether it's RSA, Black Hat, now Reinforce, Reinvent, um, something, right? And, and you see the plethora what seems like the what feels like if you walked through RSA this past year the never-ending cornucopia of vendors. Um, it's like the vendor bog. I think it's officially the uh, the fire swamp, right? The vendor fire swamp. Um, to make a little reference there for y'all, y- y- the older crowd. Um, it's uh, it it seems like, and I think you're right. It seems like everybody's defining themselves along. Um, what they are, have identified as a, as a area of, of place they can help, then they've defined the problem as that. And a lot of times, in fact, most of the time, the greater, the bigger picture tends to fall away. So um, as the consumer of that, you are left with either trying to re- re-scope your problem statement or realize that you need to duct tape a bunch of these things together. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, vendors are loath to admit where they have a weakness, but it's, you know, they do improve over time and they're always try, trying to match up with their customers, but just the sales technique, and I'm not picking on Checkpoint, I, I worked at a lot of different companies, um, is interesting along those lines, right, where they're, they're all trying to show value, um, but I think sometimes they, they, they just are so reluctant to admit where they have weaknesses still and where their product is not 100%. And I don't know. It's it's an interesting dance we play with the vendors. Well, I think it's a one of the one of the things that I I, I find interesting uh, from the perspective of um, of the on, on the from the vendor side, having been on there for a while now, right? Um, better half of actually almost the entire time that we've known each other. Uh, after I left GE, I was on the vendor side, uh, and you start to realize that as as a uh, consultant, as a sales engineer, as a seller, um, a developer of products and solutions like that, you, you once you kind of allow yourself to understand that the company you work for solves a piece of the puzzle, a piece of the thing, usually not the whole thing, um, it, it gets a little bit easier to define, um, you know, the, the thing you're trying to actually solve for the customer because then you can say you know what we've got a piece of this the bigger picture is much bigger let me let me ch- kind of show you where the, where we fit in as opposed to 
we, we are the end and, and the beginning. We are the whole thing. Yeah, that makes great sense, and I think it's a really good way to go. Well, I think there's also, you know, that difficulty as well. You know, as a vendor, you know, you're solving a problem, whatever that problem may be, and everybody's got their own twist. Like every organization you walk into, it's, it's not a drop-in solution, but how do you market your material to get in to be able to say, hey, you've got some form of this problem. Here's, you know, here's what we do. Here's how we can help solve this problem at a generic level. The, the downside is when you have a vendor that doesn't have that capability to then, once they get in, be able to then look at the new problem and adjust for that problem to be able to make it suit the needs of who they're dealing with. I think that's where a lot of places skip over that is they understand their problem and, you know, we, we know how to deal with that. So we get in and then we're like, all right, I don't want to have to do the extra overhead of figuring out anything more. I want the easiest path to resolution. So here's our problem. Can you conform to that and we'll work for you? And I, I think that's where a lot of places kind of downfall. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think th there's a couple interesting things you pulled out there too that I've seen, which is can the vendor adapt to the customer? And sometimes the vendor then wants the customer to adapt to their model. You know, we, we, we solve this problem in, in this way. Um, and sometimes a customer can do that. Sometimes they can't uh, or, or won't. Um, and you're right. Every, every customer is a little different. The other interesting aspect I found is, you know, the quality of the sales team and the, and the strategy uh, that, they, that they employ. You know, sometimes are they willing to talk about those sorts of, of how do we fit into this particular customer's environment or do they try to downplay them and you know almost argue with our customer uh, which is rarely a good idea <laughs> rarely he says um you know it's been an interesting journey man uh the last we'll call it let's let's just be let's be conservative it's called the last 15 years or so have seen a phenomenal evolution in the attempt to solve various problems with insecurity and i think I, I think a lot of the things that i'll be honest i don't think we've actually solved anything uh i think we've we've created some good um we've created some good stop gaps put a lot of good bubble gum in the dam in the cracks um <laughs> but you know like i think we said it five seven eight nine years ago uh, when Hoff was passing around the uh, shared responsibility model for the, for, uh, the beginnings of what were the shared responsibility model for the cloud, um, we need to really take a look at what cloud computing is offering us from a solution perspective. And, and because it's changing the game. like I think that's the fundamental thing that's changed over the last 15 years is basically how we... Uh, how we get IT resources has fundamentally changed, and it's been so such a dramatic change um, that I don't know. I don't know enough companies that have not have not made that switch. And there's really well built security programs out there that are simply not able to adapt. Yeah, I, I would agree. I was I was thinking the other day that you know reading of this countless list of cloud related breaches and 
I feel like we have squandered this amazing opportunity where we finally get to shed all of our technical debt. We get to rebuild with all the lessons learned in the last 30 years. And the security capabilities are there and can be architected properly, but we're not doing it. We're, we're moving to the cloud without taking all these, this wonderful opportunity to do it right, quote unquote, from a security perspective from the beginning. Right, it's 2001. And, and, <laughs> yeah, and we're just rushing. And, and more than that, and I'm not faulting the organizations, but we've now made it so easy for anybody with a budget to go deploy. Yeah. We've, we've lost this sort of check and balance we used to have for good or ill over business units going and doing things. So we now have this explosion of shadow IT, uh, and, and we've squandered this, this opportunity to secure it properly. And, and I'm not blaming the cloud providers. All the tools are there. Uh, we're just not doing it as an industry, and it, it, it's a shame. James, you're in AppCycle a bunch of times. Is is are you? Are, I think we've maybe covered this a couple of times. But the, the, is that change happening? Uh, are people refactoring and re rebuilding their apps, or is it just forklift up and hope for the best? I mean, I think it just depends on the organization. I think there are some that are are refactoring a little bit, but you got to figure. I mean, refactoring your app to move it, uh, I mean, can be hugely time consuming, and still requires the expertise. Um, you know, so I think, you know, there's a lot of people that just kind of forklift stuff. I know there are some places that, you know, require actual assessments before they'll just forklift it and move it into the cloud to make sure that, hey, here's a good time to actually test our app that we've never tested for security. But I wonder, you know, when we sit there and, and do all this move, you know, and, you know, like you said, we've got all this stuff to keep it, uh, you know, to make it secure. Like, the stuff is there to secure our stuff, but we're in a rush to move it. And I get that, right? I mean, people want to get stuff moved over like this is a huge plan do i want to spend years trying to you know make this shift maybe you do maybe you don't but then it drops down still to what about the people that are doing this not from the cloud side but from the organizational side you know i mean is it just a lack of we, we just don't have enough people that have that experience i mean anybody that's doing a move that's in an organization that's never done a move like that before you know, you can get all your certifications, you can do all this stuff, but if you've never actually been through a move migrating into the cloud, you don't know everything, right? You're going to miss things, you're going to not do everything that you're supposed to be doing. Is that the biggest leader of the reason why we see this type of stuff is that just the, the people that are doing this, and this isn't against the people that are doing it, right? I mean, it's obviously not a simple job, but is it just that because we don't have enough experience out there doing that across all organizations, is that where we're downfalling? That's a really interesting question, a good point. Uh, I think there's certainly something to that. In the organizations I've seen, you know, they know they want to go to the cloud, but they don't necessarily do a bunch of training up front, and they don't necessarily go and hire somebody who's done it before as a consultant either. So I think you're right. I think absolutely. There's a lot of folks stumbling in the dark on that, and that's probably part of the problem. And, you know, I mean, I don't, like I said, I mean, that, that's not against anybody doing it, because I understand the difficulty, but I feel like, you know, organization comes down, and we put a lot of, we put a lot of burden and stress onto the security organization within our organizations to be able to do whatever it is we ask them to do, right? We say, we're going to the cloud, 
you got to figure it out and you got to do it. You know, there's there's a lot of burden there. And if the organization's not willing to bring in somebody that has that experience, or you got people that stand up and say, "Hey, yeah, I can do that. We can we can move to the cloud." And you read a few blogs, you watch a few videos. I mean, that that I feel is the same thing even in AppSec and, and app development in general, right? I mean, you look out there, anybody that has a computer can start writing an application. I mean, heck, ha- half of these applications now are drag and drop. I don't even have to write code. Doesn't mean they're secure, but right. I mean, it, it's not difficult now to go out and start building applications. It's not difficult to start migrating to the cloud. Just because it's not difficult to do it doesn't mean that we necessarily know everything we need to know to do it properly. And that, I think, is, is probably more where we have that kind of downfall. And I've been in those organizations where you're forced into doing that type of thing, you know, and you're like, all right, we're going to do this. But, I mean, how many people in security know? Like, it's kind of a you just roll with it type of thing. <laughs> like, we'll get through it and we'll fight through it. We'll do what we need to to get it done. And we're going to kind of hope for the best. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've all done this long enough to know that security is not absolute and there's no perfect answer. And sometimes we just got to deal with risky, what we think are risky decisions by the business because the business has got to get got to get done what it's got to get done. And sometimes that means we're we're doing things we think may not be the best from a security perspective, but that's only one part of the equation. Andy, where are you seeing the most growth in terms of the expansion of the of the vendor space or the, uh, the we'll call it the solution space, uh, in air quotes? <laughs> uh, cloud solutions. <laughs> and and seriously, enough. I mean, uh, everybody and their brother has some sort of, we'll help you do X in the cloud or, you know, we'll, we'll help solve. It's all these little point problems, right, uh, that you see people trying to solve with cloud solutions is, is where I'm, seeing a lot of stuff and there's you know there's still bunches of stuff to do with compliance and you know i i work in the financial world so that shades my my view a bit right now but um yeah i mean every other thing is is cloud is what i'm seeing right now cloud 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 um You know, it's kind of funny, and, and I don't. And, and there's no sense in talking about uh, the Camp One breach that's happening because there's not enough info at the moment, aside from the really interesting articles about some chick in S- Seattle who was apparently brazen enough to uh, to uh, poke the bear, uh, as it were. But uh, <laughs> the, the equivalent of a na 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 uh, brilliance, by the way. But there, <laughs> if, if you look at the scope, I think my my comment on this whole thing was so much money, so much attack service, so much talent. The hell and and so little that we know at this point, but I mean the story, the story gets this one and every other one that have that's like it gets spun in one of a number of ways. The um, the typical infosec response has been, well, you know, uh, they suck, they're terrible, they should all be held accountable, and who else knows? CEOs thrown in jail and whatnot, right? That's that's one. Um, the next one is is the the pretty obvious, uh, well. You know, let's go find somebody to blame and, and uh, essentially run him out of town and, and move on. Uh, but I, I I like to look at all of these cases, and I get it. it this causes real harm to people. As I sit here and fill out, you know, the uh, the the uh, earlier yesterday the uh, website, uh, the info for the Equifax breach that you know me, you, and I think everybody I've ever met has been involved in now. But uh, the questions I want to know is: Are we actually are are we 
are we doing are we getting better are we getting better at finding the bad guys or gals in this case are we getting better at finding the bad people um are we um are we doing better at increasing the amount of time it takes for them to get on a target and get the get to the things that they want in terms of uh, you know and and the end of the uh, the end goal of the attacker? Um, are we actually thwarting attacks? Are we uh, are we doing better? Um, and that's what I'm waiting for out of this one and all the other ones. I'd like to I'd like to get some realistic measurements across all these breaches. Not that I think that it'll ever, it, it's going to ever happen because nobody wants to disclose this data. Uh, but I think that's the thing that really matters. That's a tough question. Because there's so much we don't hear about or so many successful defenses or right. you know intruders caught in the early stage of an infiltration. I, I don't know. My, I could give you my gut. I could give you my my cynical belief that I think... Right now, the, the good guys are behind the power curve. <laughs> Always. Uh, and, and, you know, I just see so many successful attacks that it shades my view. Um, I don't know. I really don't. I, I, it's probably not the right thing to say. You know, I'm supposed to pontificate and have strong opinions, but it's a tough question. I think, it, I think you're right, though, that it's difficult that we don't, you know, you don't see all the attacks that are being blocked, right, or being caught real early, the stuff that doesn't make the news. So over the years, you know, you've seen and you see all the news articles, you know, talking about, oh, man, the number of breaches have gone up exponentially every year. But there's nothing that counteracts that to say the number of defenses, like the number of stops have gone up exponentially. You know, there's no other side to the coin when we look at actual exploits that are effective, and the ones that aren't, even though somebody will tell you, right, put an IP address online, it's being scanned right away, like all this stuff is happening, everybody's getting scanned all day, every day, and yet we still only see X number of breaches, so we keep putting more stuff online, we're, you know, exponentially, and there's only so much that's actually being, well, that we know about, breached at any given time. So it's difficult to be able to say are we doing better? I mean, I look from an AppSec standpoint, you know, yes, we still see applications getting breached, but I mean, I test applications all the time and I can tell you applications are getting better. Doesn't mean they still don't have vulnerabilities, but I certainly don't see things like SQL injection nearly as much, cross-site request forgery, cross-site scripting. I don't see those nearly as much as I used to see those. So apps are getting better, but that doesn't mean that there's no hole in them. Right, I mean, we're not yeah. going to be 100 percent secure. We know that. Well, what's interesting is we're barely getting to mandatory data breach reporting. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to get to a, a situation where we're reporting all the um, legitimate things that we stopped, the number, the total number of attacks. I mean, hell, we all laughed our heads off when uh, was it? I think it was the Department of Defense at one point said so there were like 95 million at, uh, uh, attacks against um, what was that number? Was it like 95? Some crazy number. Remember, James, a couple of years ago, we, we laughed about this at one of the episodes we did. Right. Like a billion attacks against the Pentagon. And we're like, uh, you mean port scans? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you mean your firewall logs that are saying drop? Is that right, what you're talking about? Right, exactly. Exactly. And so it's this stuff is all difficult to measure because you're right. It's Sometimes you don't know, you know when an attack has been thwarted. 
simply because one, it's just by accident um, because you know there's not a thing that says this, the attack flag has not yet been instituted in the uh, TCP/IP uh, stack, right. which is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, like, but. You know, I mean, you can go back and look. I mean, you can look through IS logs on get strings. I mean, I get uh, email alerts for, you know, SQL injection attempts, cross-site scripting attempts, stuff like that inside of apps. You know, I mean, you can go back and look and see, like, are, are these actually people trying to attack me? Or, you know, are we talking about just a port scan to see what's available? Like, some of that information could be gleaned by looking through logs and stuff like that. It doesn't give you a full account but you know i mean i encourage anybody go look through your logs and see look for the simple or one equals one sitting out there in uh query strings people and see how many times somebody's actually doing that i'm telling you there's tons of automated scanners that are still throwing all that garbage out there so you know you can go out there and look at that and see like how wow look i'm actually somebody's trying to sql inject even though i don't use sql <laughs> somebody's <laughs> trying to sql inject me all day long you know that's the other side of it is Okay, I mean, how many of these attacks are just automated or just, you know, foolish because they're trying to attack some sort of technology that I don't even use? That it doesn't even matter, right? It's just blind, you know, I'm just going to throw my scanner at this thing and see what happens. You know, are, are those real attacks? I mean, I guess if you're using that technology, it could be, but I don't know. It's, it's tough to actually figure that out, right? Yeah, like you said, I mean, we, we don't have the attack flag in the IP stack yet. Um. Yeah, I think. You know, I think when we dissect these attacks in retrospect, you know, we can always say, oh, well, if they just patched that or if they just, you know, written this a little differently. And it's it's very clear, unless it's like a true O-Day, how to avoid it. And I think what we are grappling with as an industry is we know in general what to do. It's getting it done is the problem. Getting things patched fast enough, building an infrastructure that's resilient and segmented and can sustain an initial breach and then not be able to easily move around laterally in the environment. And all of this legacy technical debt. I mean, yeah, you mentioned that AppSec is getting stronger, which is great. But how often do organizations get to, big organizations at least, upgrade their legacy software to these newer, more secure methodologies? People are still... You know, I've seen organizations still have Windows 2003 out there. You know, we we can't seem to move fast enough for multiple reasons um, to keep up with security advances that would stop this stuff. And I think that's a true problem that we, you know, we lambast all these organizations. Well, if they'd only done XYZ, well, there's a reason they didn't do XYZ. And, and typically that's some sort of business decision that makes sense at the time, but it's not ever that simple especially as you start to get into large organizations. So it's it's tough. It's a tough, it's a tough problem. Well, Andy, uh, there's a uh, guest we had on this podcast, and I will not out him, but you, if you've listened long enough, folks, uh, you, you know who this is. He's CSO of a very, very large organization, and we were talking about ultra-legacy, like ultra legacy, like some of the stuff that's just beyond legacy. Um, you know, back into the uh, into the dinosaur age, as far as we're concerned, and he's he's like he starts laughing. I'm like, what's good? What do you mean? He's like, why are you laughing? He's like, well, because you're talking about like Windows NT being old. He's like, I've got Fox Pro that runs payroll still. <laughs> nice. Well, good news is probably not exploitable. Nobody knows how. <laughs> because no, the people that, that know how to are dead. <laughs> Wait, you All know, that's kind of funny to think about that because even from like a web perspective, I mean, it was a year or so ago that I tested a Cold Fusion app. Holy like, crap. Like, how often do you see wow. Cold Fusion 
And uh, I mean, by honest, let, let me tell you, I mean, it was as vulnerable as you would expect. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, but, you know, we do run into that. I mean, some of this stuff, I mean, you know, you pointed out, you know, these big organizations, it takes a long time to move, right? I mean, and, and you look at the frameworks. I talk about this all the time with AppSec, and, and you look at the frameworks, and it's like, yeah, the greatest, latest .NET Core 3.0 is going to have awesome security in it. But, you know, Nobody's we're still running on, you know, four, <laughs> uh, you know, with MBC and all that stuff. And, you know, to be able to make that conversion is not that easy. Like, that's, it's not a flip a switch and all of a sudden I'm .NET Core. And, you know, pick any language you want. We have so many new versions coming out that it makes it really difficult to keep up with that. And organizations can't keep up with that. They need to keep their business running, right? So if I'm, gonna, if I'm on four and it works, then I'm going to stay on four and it's going to continue working and I'll do what I can to get around that, you know, to, to try to keep up with what I need to do. It's a constant struggle. And I agree, you know, I mean, we, we look from the outside in and it's like, oh, well, it would have been easy to do this. Look, I mean, me walking up my stairs every day, I mean, I could easily trip on those stairs. I know not to trip, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to trip on the stairs one day, right? Yeah, I mean, how many matchbox cars your kids leave on the stairs. Yeah, <laughs> or Legos. I gotta, I gotta fix a tile because my kid tripped on the the one step going into the kitchen, and his shin fortunately broke the tile instead of his tile breaking the shin. Ooh. But right, like you know, he knows how to walk up those stairs. We know how to do a lot of this. If we know a lot of the stuff is there, but there's so much stuff going on, you're gonna miss something. It's just you're gonna trip. You're going to do something, and then it, it's, you know, it's going to be, well, how can you detect it? How can you respond to it? But, yeah, we can't continue just going on, and because somebody missed something of the six gazillion things that you have to do to make sure that your stuff is secure, that all of a sudden, you know, off with their heads and, and public stoning. Well, well, well done with the uh, with the uh, down a rabbit hole reference. Hey, um, so do you guys remember, <laughs> this, Andy, this wasn't too long ago, and I don't think, uh, I don't think Checkpoint ever had this problem. I could name at least two vendors that I remember having this problem with all the time, ISS, after IBM bought them. But uh, uh, do you remember, like, what, the JRE engine that we'd all install? And there'd be, you know, like, oh, my gosh, upgrade the latest and greatest. We're like, holy crap, it's vulnerable. And then you realize that the console you're using for, like, your uh, SIM or your IPS is running on that old version of the JRE engine. And you couldn't upgrade it because the whole thing would break. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and And... You know, we, there's also really uh, premier security tools running on Flash, which always gave me a twitchy eye. But yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's funny. It's sort of like security tools, security vendors. You think their own internal IT is strong. I got to tell you, uh, not so much. Uh, right. Well, you know, I mean, didn't didn't we see that uh, years ago when a security vendor came out with their own browser that was supposed to be the secure browser, and that one had security vulnerabilities? <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, look, it's a perfect example. Like, it doesn't matter. You could be the best security person in the world, and you go out and write software. It doesn't mean it's going to be secure. There's there's going to be holes. You're going to mess up with it. I mean, you look, Microsoft's been touting security for how long now? I mean, since they've been talking threat modeling and all the stuff that they're doing. And yet we still see vulnerabilities, right? It's, it doesn't matter how much you know about it. There's always going to be that one little piece. Maybe you thought something worked a way that it doesn't actually work. Maybe your testers just missed that piece or they didn't put in that one stupid character that was going to make that difference. They tried 6,000 different strings. They didn't do that one that actually made the difference. And, you know, it's that easy to miss this stuff. And, you know, we, we hold a lot of accountability to when you miss it. 
Mm. Andy Crystal Ball, man, uh, wrapping up here. What do you? Uh, what's going to change by before the next time we talk in a couple of uh, years on this show? You know, I was thinking about this as, as we were talking and going back to Cloud a bit. I, it's interesting because Cloud has a an interesting premise and promise, which is very rapid iteration and very rapid patching of at least the core cloud components, not necessarily, you know, customer written stuff, but the OSs and, and the underlying infrastructure, which could be very handy, right? If we can, if we can, without downtime, start to be able to patch that stuff very rapidly and we move it off of our plate onto the cloud provider's plate, that may offer some help. Uh, the flip side is we also concentrate risk. So if there is some sort of vulnerability that Im- impacts cloud environment, which you've seen a couple of these now, or a particular cloud vendor, we don't have the diversity of infrastructure and, and that we used to have that could perhaps spread that risk out. Now, now we've concentrated that risk. So, you know, from a, from a vulnerability standpoint, I see pros and cons to going to the cloud, and I guess time will tell. But I, I will say that at the rapid pace of innovation of software, this problem will never stop. Never stop. It's always going to, unless we froze code and audited the hell out of it, and all we did was just make it secure and said this is the only version you could run forever. Uh, this is this isn't going to stop. So it's it's something we've got to start adapting for and start anticipating that code will get popped. And how do we limit the damage? Now that's easy to say, really tough to do, but that's the mindset I kind of have adopted lately. Uh, that's fair. I think the the code freeze thing is interesting too, because even if you froze the code and you looked for security, you know how are you doing? I mean, we just did the the podcast. Was it last week, Raf? Or you know, it was said that you know scanners and tools only account for like five percent of the vulnerabilities that might yeah. exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so even if you're using all the tools and you got manual, which I always tell people, you know, like a manual code review, that all depends on the person doing the review. Like, what do they know? It, there's still a chance that that's going to have yeah. issues. That's and now you're stuck with <laughs> a version of your app where you say, no new features, no new nothing. This is how it works. You yeah, know, that, and that, like, it's going to kill a business. Nobody's going to yeah, do business. Absolutely. Like yeah, it doesn't work at all. It doesn't work for, for vendors. It doesn't work for, for businesses. It, you know, if you and just to kind of compare this to another industry, uh, I know a little bit about aviation. And aside from the whole Boeing Max 737, 737 Max situation, in general, that's kind of how aviation approaches it. But that's why things are so obscenely expensive in aviation. So there's always that trade-off too. If, if you want cheap dev, or I should say, you know, inexpensive development cycles, you can't be that rigid. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. We could be more secure if we were willing to spend a lot more money and innovate a lot more slowly. But I don't think that works for business. I really don't. I think that's the trade-off. And I think businesses, to a certain extent, have started to accept a certain level of breach and breach costs as a condition for doing business. I I, well, I, I think you're dead right, though. I, I'm sorry, I, I think you're right, Andy, that, that they have started to accept that. I think, but that started. I think that probably started five, seven years ago. I think now. So I asked at one point, or breach is just a cost of doing business. And I, I remember when I first posted that, people were like, you're insane. You, you, we can't do that. That's not acceptable. And not only have businesses accepted it, I think people are, the consumers are starting to accept it. Because we don't know better. 
and and we don't. There's not really a better alternative. I mean, well, there's got to be a there's got to be a point of diminishing return, right? I mean, you could keep spending money on development. You could buy all these tools. And you could do all this stuff. Um, you know, I feel like it was a few years ago where a lot of these big banks like Chase and and Wells Fargo, there was like the big four that listed out how much they were spending on like cybersecurity. And yeah. I mean, it was, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year that they're set, set spending on this and look where it gets you <laughs> front of the line, front of the news headlines. Right. I mean, it's at some well, point you're saying and there's tell a you. point where I've spent enough. And, you know, I feel like we're doing enough to protect our stuff, but even if I keep spending more, there's still a chance. So, so did mm-hmm. my chance of getting popped get reduced anymore by spending another $100 million? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, that's a great point. And one thing I would say about financials is probably a lot of that money went to compliance and reporting to the <laughs> to the various regulators, but that's a different topic entirely. <laughs> All right, well, we are out of time. Andy, it's been great having you, man. I hope you continue to have a uh, good, uh, good recovery. Uh, all the best wishes to you. Thank you so much for having me on. It was great. I uh, really appreciate it. Back to your back to your regularly scheduled nap. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. You guys have a great day. Thanks, Andy. All right, James, uh, this has been fun. Uh, let's do it again sometime. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening, you guys. Hopefully uh, you guys have enjoyed the conversation with Andy. And uh, Andy, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Lurg, L-E-R-G. You can find me on the Twitters. That's usually the best way. What is that? I, I remember what that stood for at one point. What is that? Oh, boy. Like? Okay, so very, very quick. Uh, there was a series of, of books, and there was a character called Relg, and I was on a bunch of single-line bulletin boards, and we'd all taken character names from those books for some reason I can't remember. And then for some reason, somebody started transposing the L's and R's in all the words, and Relg became Lurg, and it just stuck. I don't know why. <laughs> well, it's stuck. All right, and, guys. And I, you know, it's four characters. Nobody usually has it, so I keep it. Well done. Well done. Guys, thanks for listening. This has been another episode of the Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. Tune in to us next time as we find another interesting guest to go chat with and uh, fill your brain with more nonsense and hopefully something good in between. So thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys another time, another place on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. Ciao, folks. As we fade out on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole episode, we'd like to encourage you to chat with our hosts and guests using the Twitter hashtag PoundDTSR. Please check out the show notes, catch up on any episodes you may have missed, and subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Our website is whiterabbit.net, W-H-1-T-3-R-A-B-B-I-T.net. So on behalf of Rafal, James, for now it's goodbye. We'll see you soon on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast.